0: So uh, so what we looked at is um, last week is we looked at the introduction of Peter, kind of who this man was that was writing the letter, who the audience was that was receiving the letter, and what this letter was going to be all about. I intended to actually show the video last week, but as you guys know, we didn't have any power in the building. And so uh, we, were, we were outside, and that was a great morning. We still were able to worship God together and just... Uh, Fulfill. It doesn't matter that we have all these luxuries of the building and the, the power and the facilities. Um, it's about God's people coming together. Amen? Amen. It's about God's people being dedicated to the praise of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ and the fellowship that we share in Him. And so, uh, what we learn here in First Second Peter, I'm sorry, I don't know if I've been saying First Peter Second Peter chapter one, is that God wants growth in the lives of his followers. He wants growth. But God is good. He doesn't just say, I want something without giving us the recipe, the instructions, if you will, for how to achieve it in our lives. Isn't God good? He doesn't just say, hey, be good. Be good. Like some of us fathers, were like, just be good. And my kids were like, I don't even know what that means, Dad. I don't know how to do that, right? You gotta instruct me, you gotta help me, you gotta set an example for me. Um, and so God does all of those things for us in his word. And here in 2 Peter chapter 1 in the text we're going to look at, verses 5 through 11 this morning, he gives us a recipe for growth. A recipe for growth. All we have to do is take a look at the ingredients and begin to put those into practice in our lives. And we will see growth take place in our lives. Is God good? Amen. Amen. Let's read 2 Peter Chapter 1, verse 3 through 11 together. Open, open your Bible. It will be on the screen behind me. Um, and we're reading out of the Holman translation. There's nothing special about the Holman translation. It's just something we've picked as a church so that we're all on the same page. Um, if you want to buy that one, you'll be able to follow along with what's read up front. Um, but if you have your own version, there's nothing wrong with that as long as it's a good English translation. 2 Peter 1.3. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. By these, he has given us very great and precious promises, so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. Therefore, brothers, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. Because if you do these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be richly supplied to you. Amen? Amen. The words of of the Apostle Peter to the church just months maybe before he was going to meet his end and um, without denying his Lord and Savior was willing to face death. And uh, what a beautiful uh, letter that we've received from Peter and what a beautiful words that, that the Holy Spirit inspired Peter to write to the church. And now we're going to take a little deep dive into these words and see what God has for us here this morning. Amen? Amen. Amen. First of all, I want to I note that these, these uh, words from 5 through 11, uh, verses 5 through 11, are kind of divided into three little sections. First section is the virtues themselves, verses 5 through 7. We're going to examine each one of those characteristics, those seven attributes, if you will, um, that we need to have in our lives if we're going to be fruitful. Secondly, uh, verses 8 and 9 talk about The importance of possessing and growing in each of them in our lives. And then finally, in in verses 10 and 11, what is the ultimate reward or assurance that we receive if we have them present in our lives? This is kind of the breakdown that we're going to look at this morning. Notice, too, that uh, in in verses 3 and 4, who is the subject of the sentence? For those of you guys who are English scholars, who is the subject? It says his divine power has given us everything we need. Who's the subject that's in view? It's God, right? But in verses 5 and following, the subject changes from God to who? It says that we are to make every effort to put into these, these qualities into practice in our lives, right? So the subject changes from God to us. We are the subject of these verses. We are the ones that need to be uh, implementing or working in in these characteristics that God has provided us. You know, um, in verses five through seven, there is a Greek literary device that is used uh, to um, that Peter uses to describe these seven attributes. I want to talk just briefly about this so that you can understand it. It's called a Sorites. A sorites. Anybody familiar with the sorites of ancient Greek literature? Yeah, I didn't think so. So I I had to study that this week and understand what is Peter doing, and why is is this particular literary device chosen to be able to encapsulate these thoughts? What is the point of it? And this is kind of what the the literary device does. It, It starts with a word, and then it begins a chain of words that are repeated. Within, the, within this uh, literary device, and then it concludes with a single word. What is the first word of, of, of the attributes listed in, in verses 5 through 7? Faith. What is the final word that is repeated, or that is not repeated? It's, it's listed at the very end of the chain of words. Love. love. And so this literary device is, is basically saying, the life of faith will create a life of love if all of the other things are present. Does that make sense? That's the literary device being used. It's also used in the book of Romans. In the book of Romans, uh, there is a, uh, the, uh, another verse that is used, and it's Romans 8, verses 28 and 29. It says, for those he foreknew, he also predestined. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. It's talking about God's redemptive plan that's based in Christ. It starts with a foreknowing all those that would be his. And it ends up with a what? A glorification of those who he foreknew would choose him. They will be glorified. In other words, if you choose Jesus, you will find glory. Amen? Amen? Right? That's a literary device. It's like, and then all these other things are true about it. All these other things are present within God's redemptive plan. So this, going back to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, it's like if you choose to trust in Jesus Christ, if you have faith, and faith is a gift of God, it's available to anyone. It's a gift, it's freely given. He wants to place faith into your heart and your life, but you have to have an open heart. He doesn't force it on you, right? He's a loving God who who wants to provide us what we need to embrace the truth. And what we need to embrace the truth, what we need to please God is faith. And it's available for us to be able to have. And if we choose it, we will It says in the Bible, have a life that eventually is seen as a life that represents the same kind of love that God has poured out for us. And all these other ingredients should be present in the process of our lives being developed into that beautiful final picture where we represent God's love. So let's take a look at these ingredients together, kind of dive through each one and understand them well. Because if they're going to be, if we're going to make every effort to supplement our faith with all of these other things and move forward in our, in our lives, we need to understand what they are. We need to understand how we can begin to develop them in our lives. Let's first look at faith. It's a trust in God that enables you to accept and obey him. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. That's the faith chapter in the Bible, in case you were wondering. Hebrews chapter 11, write that down. You can read through it and really understand what faith is. But let's just read a couple verses. uh, Verse 1 of Hebrews 11. Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for. The proof of what is not seen. Faith is being able to experience the reality of what we hope. And to be able to, to have a confidence in what we can't even see. Anybody seen God? Anybody hope there's a God? Well, faith bridges that gap between just a hope and not being able to see something to being able to experience it personally. That's what faith does. Verse 6, now, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and rewards those who seek him. Faith is the most important element for us to establish a relationship with God. From our side. His side, he's already done the work. He provided his son on a cross. He poured out grace, unmerited favor on all of humanity because of his great love. He's done that work. He's shown us how much he loves us. But we have to embrace the gift of salvation through his son Jesus through faith. He wants us to do that. Maybe you can do that this morning if you've never done that. What a beautiful thing it is. It says there's party in heaven. The angels party every time one person on earth chooses to place their faith and trust in the Savior, Jesus. Amen. Amen. That's right. So faith is the thing that both helps us trust that God is real and helps us to then accept him and obey him, but it also helps us live out faithfulness to him in everyday life. We are to add or supplement our faith with what? With goodness. Goodness. What is goodness? Hopefully you guys know, but it's a virtue, right? It's moral excellence. Committed to fulfill God's very purpose in your life. Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 says this. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any moral excellence, there's the word that's used in James. If there's any moral excellence, if there's any goodness, and if there is any praise, dwell on these things, the Apostle Paul says. You know, this, uh, this word was used um, in ancient Greek by the philosophers that it meant excellence. It meant something fulfilling what it was designed to be. Think about that. Something fulfilling what it was created to do and to be. That was the the word that's used here in 2 Peter for goodness. I have an ice maker at home. This ice maker is a bad ice maker. I, I, I almost wanna curse this ice maker because every time we wanna go make ice, it seems like this is my third one that I've bought, by the way, I've tried different, yeah, it's a mess, right? But an ice maker is created to do what? make ice. So when it doesn't make ice, it becomes very frustrating. It's worthless. It's useless. It's just a big piece of weighted material on my countertop, right? Because it's not fulfilling what it was created to to be. And so we, we think, what a useless piece of junk, right? We don't call it excellent and good anymore. No, we throw it in the trash, You know, this is the word that Peter is using here to describe what a Christian should look like. The Christian should be excellent, should be virtuous, should be good, should be fulfilling the purpose that God created us to fulfill on this planet in representing him and looking more like him. We are to add or to supplement our goodness with knowledge. What is knowledge? Knowledge is a genuine, rich experience with God that helps you discern his will in life. A genuine, rich experience with God that helps you discern his will in life. Romans chapter 12, Paul writes these words. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you, To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. How do we renew our mind? We focus on learning who God is and what he wants for our lives that's knowledge. That's knowledge. When I was a little kid, we had a a stove, a wood-burning stove that was in the middle of our living room. And it was an open corner where when it was hot, you you could go up and touch it. And as a little kid, I remember having the warning of my dad saying, don't touch the hot stove, little guy. You're gonna get burned. And I knew it on some sort of intellectual level that My dad doesn't want me to touch that. I guess it's kind of a bad thing. But until I reached out and I touched the hot stove for myself, and for the very first time I experienced the burn on my fingers and the pain that came with that, now I knew something for real in a way that I didn't know it before. This is what the Word is describing. It's talking about not just a head knowledge, but an experiential knowledge of God knowing him through experiencing him in our lives, for real. That's the knowledge that we are to add to our lives. We are to get to know the God of the universe. He's invited us into a relationship where we are to grow in knowledge with him and of him. Are we doing that? Are we getting to know the God who called us to this beautiful life of blessing and glorification, that will be ours in heaven one day. We are to add to knowledge, self-control. Knowledge, to, we should add self-control. Self-control, what is self-control? I don't know, I don't have any. No, I'm just kidding. Um, hopefully I'm developing this in my life, but it is discipline to control your impulses and let Christ reign rather than your self-centered desires. It's important, right? God's will is different than what Satan is offering. The temptations that are coming with this world and the flesh and the devil. And so we have to have self control as believers, or we're going to give in to the devices of the enemy, to the devices of the devil. And we're not going to have success as we walk out our Christian lives. It's discipline. How many love discipline? Self control. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul talks about this. The Apostle Paul writes in verse 24, Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race? But only one receives the prize. Run in such a way to win the prize. Okay. Verse 25. Now everyone who competes exercises self-control. There's the word. There's There's the term again. In everything. However, they do it to receive a crown that will fade away, but we, a crown that will never fade away. What he's saying there is, man, these athletes go through a lot. How many remember Michael Phelps in the Olympics? Michael Phelps, amazing swimmer. I think he set, like, every record possible. He won, like, a bazillion gold medals in the Olympic Games. I remember, loved watching him race. He was just, like, amazing. Like, I think he could beat, like, a fish in the water. He was that fast, Right? But he, he didn't just like show up to the pool one day and go, I'm going to be really fast in the pool. No, I remember seeing an interview after his final Olympic game. And they said, what are you going to do now? And he goes, I'm just going to eat whatever I want. Because he had spent years in self-control. He had spent years in disciplining his life because he knew that he, can, he couldn't compromise that. Because he had a race ahead of him. He had a competition that he was involved with, and he wasn't going to do anything to compromise his health and his physical condition so that he could be the best that he could be when he showed up to that pool and that race. This is the word that God tells us as believers that we should be focused on in our Christian lives. Are we exercising self-control when we're tempted with things that we know if we start going down that path, it's going to lead us away from God's plan for our life? Do we have that in our lives? Self-control is to be supplemented with endurance. Endurance. What is endurance? Remaining resolute and steadfast in the midst of trial and hardship remaining ste- resolute and steadfast in the midst of trial and hardship. I guarantee you that even though these Olympic runners, you know, these marathon runners, they probably have an amazing diet, amazing training regimen, I guarantee that at some point in that 26.2-mile race, they hit the wall. They hit a moment where their mind and their body saying, what are you doing, you fool?" right? They meet some sort of hardship, some sort of condition. Their shoe gets a pebble in it. I don't know what it is, but they endure some sort of hardship. And God says that when we're walking the life of, of, that he's called us to, this Christian life, even if we've exercised self-control, we still need to endure because there's going to be hardships. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world that is not cheering us on in our life with Christ. Have you figured that out yet? And we need to have endurance. We need to have a re- resolute and steadfast commitment to Christ, even in the midst of trial and hardship. Let's, listen to what James says. James, the, the brother of Jesus, can't imagine being the brother of Jesus. Listen to what he writes, first chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it great joy, my brothers, whenever you experience various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. There's the word. What produces this in our life? James just gave us a clue. It's the testing of our faith. Man, that doesn't happen unless you're going through something tough, unless you're going through a trial, a hardship in your life. God allows those in. Why? Because he wants you to endure. He wants you to develop that characteristic in your life. He's shaping you for your future usefulness for him but endurance must do its complete work and it's sometimes a painful work sometimes a painful process most times so that you may be mature and complete lacking nothing that's what god wants for our, his followers that we would lack nothing verse or uh, continue we are to supplement endurance with what Godliness. What is godliness? It's living in the fear of the Lord. Living in the fear of the Lord is godliness. When you have a reverence and an awe for who God is, you can't help but like say, I submit to you, God. I want to be like you, God. It's piety out of a deep reverence for God as he guides you to relate with him and with others. It's being Christ-like. It's, it's asking the question, what would Jesus do? That's what godliness should look like in your lives, in my life, in all of our lives. First Timothy chapter four, verse seven says, train yourself in godliness. Does this, do these attributes just magically drop into your lap? No, they don't. Were they all made accessible at the cross? Yes, absolutely. God is the author and the provider of every one of these things. But he says that we are to make every effort. That literally takes work. That takes discipline. That takes like saying, God, I wanna be focused on these things and doing them well so that they grow in my life so that I could be more useful for the master. First Timothy 4, seven. train yourself in godliness. For the training of the body has limited benefit. We just talked about Michael Phelps. He won all those Olympic gold medals. That was a cool benefit, but it's limited. It's all gonna be left behind one day when he dies. But godliness is beneficial in every way, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. We're to add to our godliness, what? Brotherly affection. This word is literally in the Greek, Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Anybody heard of that city? The city of what? It's supposed to be the city of brotherly love. I don't think it is. You'd probably get mugged if you go there today. But Philadelphia is the word that is is, uh, translated here, brotherly affection. Caring for others in the family of God. That's literally what it means. We're to have an affection. We're to have a concern. We're to have a care for one another. Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, he says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He wants us to love one another. The world needs to see a church that is loving one another. Amen. Amen. Are you showing affection for the person sitting next to you? In a genuine way? For the person sitting across? I probably should say that, because everybody that sits in the same sh- section likes each other, right? Right? <laughs> Right? It's just can you love the people in the other section? Yeah. Right? That's the real challenge. Oh man, I gotta love those teenagers over there in that section. Teenagers are over there, I gotta love all those old people over there in that other section. I wasn't talking about your section, by the way. If you we are to show Romans chapter twelve, verse ten. Show family affection. That's the same Greek word, Philadelphia. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Show family affection to one another with brotherly love. Outdo one another in showing honor. What if we had a competition? Who can show the most brotherly love? That's basically what Paul is challenging the church to do. Outdo one another with acts of love and goodness within the church. That's what we should be focused on. And this all results. We're to supplement brotherly love with what? What comes last on the list? Love. This love is agape. This love is unconditional, sacrificial, Christ-like love. It's the highest virtue of all. The highest virtue of all. God demonstrated his love in, for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's agape love. It's sacrificial it, it even is willing to go and, 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 and think well of its enemy. To do well to its enemy. Boy, it's a challenge, right? To look like Christ, to be people of love. Because it's a lot easier to start hating. It's a lot e- I hate what that governor's doing. I hate, the, right, my neighbor. Whoever it is that's just a thorn in your side. It's a lot easier to hate. But God has called us to love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, it says this. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. Now I want to talk a little bit about love because love's been twisted. Love has been redefined in our society. As if love is love and we all just can do whatever we want. That's not love. It's not what God says love is. Listen to 1 Corinthians 13, 5. Love does not act improperly, is not selfish. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness. Are there are a lot of unrighteous acts being done and called love. That ain't love, not according to Scripture. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Love is rooted in truth. Love is not just some sort of like feeling or some sort of license to do whatever we want. Don't be fooled, church. There's a lot of people out there in our world that are giving in to the devil and redefining what love is all about. Love even involves discipline. Hebrews 11:6. 6, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves. Love involves discipline. That means like correcting you when you're off base. Right? If I, if I love my children and they start doing stuff that's wrong, what do I do? I love them with a little paddle. Right? I love them with a little lecture or a little go to your room. Right? I love them with discipline. That's what love should have as a part of it. So don't think it's wrong to talk to people in this world and love them by pointing out some things that are truthful. And that's okay, but do it in a spirit of grace, in a spirit of love, in a spirit of reverence for God that you're not their ultimate judge. God is. But we need to be people of love, and love involves speaking the truth. Love involves standing up for righteousness. That's what love involves. That's agape love. Verse eight of 2 Peter. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right here, it's negative in the Greek. He chooses, for whatever reason, to write it as a negative. If you possess these things, you will be kept from being useless and unfruitful. i want to turn it around to the positive just real quick so we can look at it. What is the, what's the opposite of useless Useful, right? Who wants to be useful for Jesus? What's the difference between unfruitful or the opposite of unfruitful? Fruitful, right, or productive. Who wants to be fruitful in their lives and productive for God's kingdom? How do we do it? We need these qualities to be ours and increasing in our lives. Now, here's the cool part. You don't need to work on these one uh, one by one at a time right? It's not a list like, first you got to do this, then you got to do it. That. That's not what it's being said here. It's basically a list of things that should all be being worked on at the same time in your life. I don't know if you guys have ever had uh, any kind of cookies or anything like that that are missing an ingredient, or that don't have enough of something. How do they taste? Not so good, right? I've actually, I've actually enjoyed the opportunity to taste something that was missing sugar. I found out how valuable sugar is in the recipe list, right? It was nasty. It was nasty. I wanted to just, what, vomit it out, right? But I was in the presence of the person who had made it, so I had to be careful with my reaction. I like, yeah, this is really great stuff you got, you know, like you're just, that's what you feel like sometimes. But think about what God feels like. We've heard that verse that says, I'm tired of you being lukewarm. Whether you be hot or cold, right? I want to vomit you out. You're gross. You're missing what should be a part of your life. These things need to be, these are recipes for the believer that need to be present. And if we have them, we'll be useful and fruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these things, verse 9 2 Peter 1.9, the person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. Literally, it says they can't see the big picture. We've all been around people that are going a little blind, right? They start stumbling around, and they can cause damage and hurt to themselves and to others. That's the picture that's being painted here. God's saying, quit being like that. You're acting like a blind man, you're acting like you're, you're starting to stumble, you're nearsighted, you can't see where you're going, and you can't keep your eye on the big picture. And when you do that, you start hurting yourself, and you start hurting those around you. Knock it off. Go back to being fruitful and productive. Have those qualities grow back in your life. How to enjoy a fruitful life. Number one, attach yourself and your life to the vine. That's John 15. You don't know Jesus, he's inviting you to place your faith in him. If you know him and you've been like kinda not being nourished, not being connected to Jesus like you should, get yourself back attached to the vine. You cannot bear fruit on your own. Number two, avoid idleness in the spiritual disciplines. It's very easy to just go, you know what? I don't need to pray anymore, it's not a big deal. What's prayer anyway? He already knows my thoughts. Prayer is for you, it's not for God. He knows that we need to continue to depend on him and connect to him, and he's invited and asked and provided a way for us to pray. So we need to do it because he knows that keeps us close to him and relying on him. We need to apply the Bible, not just read it like five minutes, okay, I read my Bible, I'm good. It's not the point. The point is, are we applying? Are we studying? Are we seeking to understand the word of God and then put it to practice in our lives? Number three, serve. God designed us to be useful and to serve in the body of Christ. Are you serving in a ministry? Are you putting your gifts into practice? Number four, worship. Do we worship him in spirit and in truth throughout our day, not just once a week on Sunday? And number five, testify. Do you have a testimony of his grace in your life? Are you sharing it with others? And finally, appreciate the forgiveness God has given you Never take his gift lightly. We wrap up this section of 2 Peter with these words in verse 10 and 11. Therefore, brothers, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, because if you do these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be richly supplied to you. There are other sections of Scripture that describe the same thing. It's it's a tension between the idea that we don't need to do anything in order to be saved. We just place our faith in what Jesus Christ has done for us. And that is a truth. That is an absolute truth. It's a free gift. There's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to get somehow closer to God. It only came through Jesus Christ. But there's another tension, and that is that true faith should produce works. True faith should actually manifest itself in the qualities described in this text. And if you don't have those things, then you've got to question, and others around you have got to question, do you really have faith? Have you ever really trusted Jesus? Because one leads to the other. James chapter 2, verse 14 through 20. You can read it on your own. I don't have time this morning. He talks about the same thing. Paul talks about it in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Bottom line, it's not our profession of faith that guarantees we are saved. It is the progression in that faith that gives us that that assurance. Does that make sense? The faith, as it begins to progress, it shows itself to be real, it shows itself to be actual, valid in our lives, and that provides great assurance into our lives and into the lives of people around us that we are going to receive a rich welcome into the kingdom of heaven. That's what God wants to give us. How many want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? I, I certainly do. We're all going to stand before our master, our creator, our savior. It's going to be a beautiful day for those of us who are in Christ, who have had our sins washed away by the blood of the lamb. You can have that privilege. Don't stand before him and be guilty of your sins. It's, it's not a good thing to fall in the hands of an angry God. That's what scripture says. Make sure that your sins are gonna be covered on that day, but greater than just having your sins covered and getting in by the skin of your teeth, right? You wanna hear, well done, good and faithful servant from your master, Jesus. That's what I long to hear. Well, We can do that if we put these things into practice in our life. As I close, I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up. We're gonna respond this morning with both worship singing and praises to our God but we're also going to respond in communion and remembering you remember verse 9 you remember verse 9 in our text this morning it says the person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins church let us not forget what Jesus has done for us let us keep that in full view And appreciate the gift of salvation. That's what communion's all about. As we come together on Sundays, most times we celebrate this moment. And if you know Jesus, this is your opportunity to say, Jesus, I remember what you did for me. Help me to not grow nearsighted and blind in my walk with you. You're invited to the table as the worship team begins this morning. And we respond by taking the bread that represents his body that was broken for us. And we eat that bread in remembrance of him. We take the cup and we drink it because the cup represents the blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. And when we we drink that cup, we do so in remembrance of him. Maybe you need prayer this morning. Maybe you're like, man, God spoke to me and I need to talk with somebody. There are prayer warriors, there are prayer team members in the back of the auditorium just waiting to pray with you would love the privilege to be able to just hear what's on your heart and if you don't have the words yourself, they're willing to pray on your behalf. Take advantage of that during our response time, but let me finish with these two points. The reward of a fruitful life. Number one, rest in a confident hope in this life. Walk in the assurance of salvation. Is that a beautiful thing? To walk in the assurance of salvation. And number two, receive a rich welcome into eternity. Hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful one. We're going to respond this morning. I want to invite you guys to just take a moment, reflect on these words that were spoken from God's word this morning. And as we sing these songs and as we take part in communion, let's be serious about what we're going to be when we leave these doors this morning. Amen. Amen. Thank you.